Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, who has in recent weeks spent an inordinate amount of time writing about new developments in drone racing and specifically in gambling on drone racing. I have to know, what would the John Brennan of, say, 30 years ago have said if he was visited by the John Brennan of today, time traveling and telling him that someday he'll be writing about young people controlling flying drones, racing around the sky against each other, and people will be legally betting on it? Uh, well, I was covering NBA Finals games around the country before the internet was even available to the general public. So uh, I, I will say a lot has changed. Um, the betting part, though, is sort of retro, as as I noted. I mean, 30 years ago and even more, you know, I grew up with a bookmaker, Jimmy the Greek, offering the picks on CBS Sports NFL free game show. Nobody thought anything of that. And participating in my neighborhood pool with kids and parents alike involved. And, of course, even in my Catholic grammar school, we had those parlay cards for college and pro football, starting a 10 to 1 payout for getting all four games right. So the betting doesn't shock 1991 John Brennan at all. Uh, drones, you know, it, it's not so different to me than the start of horse racing, I guess, thousands of years ago. You know, <laughs> I own a horse and a neighboring farmer. Uh, that's you. You do, too. And there's not much more to do around there. And so you say, I, my horse is faster than yours. And uh, we put down a bale of hay or whatever each. And uh, the one across the field first wins. And you know, eventually we get to, like, race cars and everyone has the same car and you make it more about the driving skill than how good a, a, a car or a drone now you build. So that seems to be about where drone racing is now. Uh, what might blow my mind most is really California, Texas and Florida still don't offer any legal sports betting when more than half the smaller states do. But the Internet, yeah, that's definitely the biggest one. So, so you'd be more surprised by which state Stone uh, offers <laughs> sports betting than, than by flying drones uh, and 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 uh, young people being very into the idea of flying their drones against each other. Well, I mean, it, it was it was weird in the 1970s and 80s that sports betting wasn't legal everywhere. Anyway, that was a strange thing until Pete Rose came along. And so, you know, back early enough, I would have, I would have figured, you know, that will happen in five years, 10 years. And then to find out that half the states have it and the biggest ones, which will make the most money don't, that would be weird to me. Yeah. Huh. Well, I guess I guess I find the whole drone racing thing much, uh, much stranger than, than you do. And, and I have to give you credit because, you know, part of doing your job well as a journalist involves keeping abreast of what the younger generations are interested in, even if it's something you yourself are not interested in. So, you know, whether it's drone racing or esports now or X Games 20 years ago or whatever, um, you know, if, if this becomes a major popular betting sport, you'll have the inside track. Uh, no no racing pun intended there. Uh, you know, you, you got to stay nimble and open-minded. So I'd, I'll definitely give you credit uh, for that, John, in becoming one of the world's preeminent drone racing betting journalists, at least just that I know of. Well, to be fair, I would say 2015, John Brennan was lucky enough to get a weekend assignment where one of the local high schools um, had a, a technical uh, school uh, subdivision and they had their kids build the drones themselves so oh. the kids thought it was really fun and really cool and i watched them racing around a gymnasium so i could see what it 
it was. And uh, what was really good about it is that all these kids are going to be engineers making six figures for the rest of their lives, right? So, I mean, <laughs> right. they don't realize that figuring out how to build a drone itself, it takes incredible technical skill. And if you have that aptitude, um, you can do anything in the engineering field. And so, yeah, I mean, they might dream of being a professional drone racer, but realistically, they're going to have a skill that'll last for life. So, I think that probably gave me an unfair head start into this drone world. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, you were way ahead of the curve on <laughs> on all of this stuff. Um, and uh, thank you to our listeners for being ahead of the curve uh, with their podcast listening and being the sort of smart people who would join us here for episode number 125 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 124 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. You'll immediately feel better about yourself if you do. <laughs> yeah, and coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by our colleague Jeff Edelstein, a longtime columnist for the Trentonian, who now writes for the U.S. Bets family of websites. And we'll talk to Jeff about his passion for DFS, his article on sharp sports betters getting limited severely by some of the books, and his level of optimism about this year's New York Mets. But first, it's been a rather busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. As John just said, it has been a rather busy news week. Uh, so even though we're recording earlier than we usually do on Wednesday evening instead of Thursday morning, there's a lot to cover. So we're giving you four news stories instead of the usual three this time. And we start with New Jersey reporting its December gaming figures. And here's the headliner. Sports betting handle came in at $996.3 million, a mere $3.7 million shy of crossing the billion dollar mark. This is, of course, a single month record for any state, topping the mark of $931 million set in New Jersey the month before. On that $996.3 million, sportsbooks collected $66.4 million in revenue, meaning the hold was a devilish 6.66%. A staggering 93% of the betting handle came via online sportsbooks, and the full handle for the year crossed the $6 billion mark. Looking beyond sports, New Jersey had a record month for online casino revenue, $99.5 million, and total revenue in the state was actually up 8.9% over December 2019, despite the pandemic affecting in-person casino play. A whole lot to process there. Plus, we have December revenue reports out of Indiana and Iowa, both of which set new state sports betting handle records. Indiana handle rose from $251.4 million in November to $313.1 million in December, while in Iowa, handle was up more than 20% and crossed the $100 million mark for the first time. All of which makes clear that December is well on its way to establishing a new national sports betting record. John, what numbers stand out to you from your home state in New Jersey? And here's the obvious question. Is the Garden State breaking a billion dollars in January? I think it's going to come up just short in January again. Um, I got it right in December, but now I'm a little more nervous about it. It's gotten so close. It's going to be it's a it's a great challenge, but uh, I'm just guessing now that it's going to be just under. Um, the idea that December 20 casinos could rake in more revenue than they did in December 2019. Uh, there's a caveat because the the online casino and the sports betting, the mobile stuff, they have to share that with a partner. So, mm -hmm. you know, and any casino executive will tell you and they've told me that um, brick and mortar is where the, the best money is. But let's say they only broke even. They didn't really make that that decent amount. Uh, that's an amazing thing. Uh, so there's two things about that. One is uh, uh, a 
state like Texas might want to consider, gee, well, maybe we'll have casinos after all. And then for a licensing fee, hey, we're a huge state. We're going to give you partnerships in sports betting and online casino gaming so that even if there's another pandemic or God knows what happens, uh, you know, uh, in the environment or something else, uh, you're going to still be able to stay afloat. Now, how much would you pay? Uh, but the other part is that I think uh, the 50 million or so in tax revenue that New Jersey got for the year on six billion in in uh, to handle. I think right. that's something that legislators ought to be looking at because, on the one hand, you know, 50 50 million is nothing compared to six billion, but it's 50 million. I think uh, other states can look at their size of their population compared to New Jersey. They're probably not going to beat it per capita, but um, they can either figure that's a good number. They could probably have a higher tax rate. It's eight and a half and 13 percent in New Jersey. Uh, Pennsylvania has done very well with higher tax rates. So um, they can figure all that out. So New Jersey is now laid out, you know, for an entire year, exactly, you know, what what the lay of the land is for offering a variety of betting for the casinos, the operators, which is good for them. And also realistically, what kind of tax revenues you can shoot for. Yeah, um, that, that's interesting stuff. And especially about how the, I hadn't really thought about that as much, how the, that they have to share those online revenues with partners. And so that brick and mortar revenue is more important uh, and more valuable to these uh, Atlantic City casinos. Um, the online casino revenue number that they just posted it is enormous, and and it's and it's something that's getting lost as states are stepping up and legalizing sports betting. That they're missing out on the real moneymaker, online casino. You know, the headlines this week will all be about New Jersey betting generating almost a billion dollars in bets, but online casino games are generating a much higher handle, really, in slot spins and blackjack hands dealt and and, and so forth. Um, by, by the way, that that 6.66% sports betting hold in December, that is right in line with the whole year 2020. Uh, hold in New Jersey was 6.6% for the year as a whole. So uh, right on target there. Um, I think I'll take the other side of the January bet. Um, it's close, though. I think, you know, on the plus side for, for January 2021, breaking a billion dollars, we have the NBA and NHL. On the minus side, those sports are not as big as football and not as many NFL or college football games will be played in January as we're in December. Then again, the games that are being played are playoff games and major bowl games. So it's going to be close, but I I kind of expect that a new record will be set and we will cross the billion dollar mark, but you know, not by leaps and bounds. We're not hitting 1.1 billion or anything like that, but I think, I think it's going to nudge just past a billion for January. Yeah. And to to your point, I should clarify that 50 million for New Jersey. That's just from sports betting. Of course, 90% of that is mobile sports betting. So yeah, online casino, I'll be following up with that in uh, a Thursday story on njonlinegambling.com. But uh, so it's 50 million just for sports betting, if you do it this way. And then you get tens of millions more uh, clearly in online casino, which has similar tax rates, but the the volume is even higher than sports betting is, which uh, would probably surprise a lot of people. Yeah. All right. Our next story keeps us in John's New York, New Jersey region with the latest developments in the story we covered last week about New York, maybe just maybe inching closer to regulating online sports betting. After Governor Cuomo announced last Wednesday that he endorsed a lottery run mobile betting system, two state lawmakers who've been pushing for online wagering for a while, Senator Joseph Adabo and Assemblyman J. Gary Pretlow, filed a bill on Thursday, shortly after we recorded last week's podcast. 
while Cuomo's idea hinted at a possible monopolistic setup, the Adabo Prentlow bill pushed for a more competitive marketplace with two skins per casino, which could mean up to 14 online sports books in the state. They're calling for a $12 million license fee, which is probably aiming low relative to what operators would be willing to pay to enter New York, uh, a 12% tax on revenue, and notably a royalty to the leagues of 0.2% of handle. John, any surprises in that Adabo Pretlo legislation and any updated sense of how optimistic New Yorkers should be that something will actually happen in 2021? Well, the royalty is the least surprising thing. Assemblyman Pretlo, for whatever the reasons, will just not let that one go. And I've talked to him about it a number of times. Uh, he says the leagues are in uh, New York State and New York City, so they deserve it or whatever. So that that's just not, not going to change. Uh, Adabo and Pretlo have been batting around one skin per property versus two for a couple of years. And the industry, of course, prefers to, and a consumer would as well. So that's interesting and, and a positive development. Um, but Prello in particular says that Cuomo's one operator monopoly idea that he pitched last week is uh, dead in the water. And I agree. Okay. And the uh, New York Racing Association Horsemen and the Tribal Casino Lobby aren't just going away. Uh, and most of this stuff needs to get done by, you know, start of April, ideally. And well, this COVID thing and the state's $15 billion budget deficit might just crowd this one out until 2022, at least. You know, I said as I was introducing this that the uh, the twelve million dollar one-time license fee might be low. Uh, I have seen others speculate that the big sports books would happily fork over fifty million dollars to operate mm -hmm. in New York, um, especially if the state is limited to fourteen online sports books, which isn't a low number by any means, but it's not quite as wide open as New Jersey. If that's the number, it makes each of those licenses a little more valuable than if there were potentially up to 42 skins or, or whatever the number is in New Jersey. I think it's something like that. Um, I do hope that uh, that this monopoly idea is 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 dead, as you uh, say, it, it appears to be, because that's that's really bad for, for New York sports betters. Uh, they definitely want to have a competitive marketplace. And uh, if they had to wait a little longer to get that sort of setup, I think it's worth it rather than rushing into something that resembles a monopoly in any way. Um, all that I can infer so far from Cuomo's State of the State series of speeches this week, which I know you've been watching uh, intently, waiting for him to say something about sports betting. All I can infer is that the priority level of sports betting has slipped for him since he first started talking about it last week. I don't know if that's because he's been reminded the money involved for New York isn't billions and billions, or just because events in Washington, D.C. last week have shifted every politician's priorities a bit. But it does feel like this topic has cooled off slightly since we talked about it on last week's podcast. Yeah, so, you know, you still bet the under. It looked, like a, looked interesting for a brief moment, and now... I'm betting the under again. Okay, but still, if 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 you're saying uh, 2022 ish <laughs> seems realistic, I would say that's a step in the right direction coming from uh, from your level of optimism over the course of the last couple of years. That's probably fair. I thought Cuomo would never change his mind for any reason whatsoever, and even though his change of mind is kind of bizarre, uh, it's still a change, and so it's not likely he's going to say, "Oh, I thought I could do the monopoly thing through the lottery, and now I can't do that, and so forget it. I'm not going to do it at all." It seems like he's 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 mellowing out and uh, he's been less against marijuana. There have been other political reasons why that legalization hasn't gone forward. And that's probably going to go going to happen. And I think in his mind, he may feel like, you know, uh, we're we're allowing vices. Let's uh, let's put them all together. 
Right. Um, all right. Uh, moving on to our next story. I can't recall if we've ever done an obit as one of our news stories, uh, but this is a big one in the gaming industry. Billionaire casino mogul Sheldon Adelson died Monday night at the age of 87, drawing both some fond and not so fond remembrances as the powerful and polarizing figure that he was in the business. Adelson was the founder, chairman, and CEO of Las Vegas Sands Corp, owner of the Venetian and Palazzo in Las Vegas, as well as properties in Macau and Singapore. And as respected as he was for his success in the brick and mortar casino business, he was also resented by many for his stance against regulated online gaming and was maybe the single most powerful force in preventing online poker from thriving in the U.S. after its 2006 heyday. On the positive side, he drew widespread praise for continuing to pay his employees throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Of all the ways to remember him, uh, including for his political donations, which is what much of the mainstream non-gambling world associates him with, John, what do you think of first when you think of the late Sheldon Adelson? Well, first, I remember about six or seven years ago, I was interviewing someone by phone and mentioning Adelson, and a colleague overheard me and offered Adelson's cell phone number to me. Uh, he had recently pro profiled someone not in the gaming industry who was uh, buddies with Sheldon. So I figured I'll take a shot, a long shot. You know, I tell budding journalists, the worst they can do is say no, right? So I called and introduced myself and immediately launched into the core question, you know, whoever it was, hoping his loquaciousness would overwhelm anything else. And he just blurted out an answer. Uh, no dice. He immediately asked me how I got that number. So I was in a pickle, right? I, I'm not wanting to throw my colleague under the bus. So I kind of white lied and said, gee, it's, it's in here in our database. And it probably was, um, but he wasn't having it. And I was summarily dispatched. Uh, he, he said, no, like I say, the worst thing they can do is say no. He said no. Um, but beyond that, the op his opposition to online gambling obviously was meant to be self-serving. Don't let a newcomer get in on your casino action. Right. But as I wrote for NJOnlineGambling.com on Tuesday about how Adelson, he's never a fan of Atlantic City's casinos. And you know, in spite of a number of visits there to the city decades before they arrived and, and everything else, he just uh, he figured New York and Pennsylvania would practically wipe them out. And he wasn't 100 percent wrong on that. Of course, he bought sand. He actually built sands Bethlehem over right. over about a dozen years ago. So he knew what the lay of the land there was. But it's kind of a shame, as it turns out, because only 10 years ago, the various Atlantic City casino operators, some of them based in Nevada, like Adelson was, they were in lockstep with Sheldon about this. Uh, but after a few years, to their credit, they learned that the amount of cannibalization to a casino for offering separate online platform is you know, as close to zero. So the AC casinos have all benefited greatly from, from adapting, and never more so, as we talked about in 2020, when online casino and mobile sports betting really kept online casinos afloat in spite of the pandemic so um and it's still going to keep them afloat in 2021 for the first half or or longer that they need be so um also adelson's passing and his political benefactor president trump's departure from office mean the end i think of a federal fight against online gambling so good for the new hampshire lottery is going to win actually the case will probably be just disappeared right and then um multi-state poker compacts i think will be fine um multi-state gambling, uh, whether it's mega millions or any of those clearly will be safe. And I think there'll be more uh, multi-state online gambling compacts, whether it's lottery or anything else. So um, I think that was going to happen anyway. Um, but now it's uh, with those two uh, circumstances, I think it's a definite. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'll be relatively brief on the, on this topic. You know, many parents give their kids the advice that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Um, I should perhaps consider that here. So I, I will just say uh, Adelson's crusade against online gambling, online poker in particular, 
helped put All In Magazine out of business, cost me my job on multiple occasions, actually. He was the enemy of anyone who made money via online poker. Uh, add in his political predilections, and let's just say he wasn't my favorite person in the world, and, and leave it at that. But he was a hugely important and influential person, so his death is uh, undoubtedly a big story in our business. I will not be celebrating his death, of course, nothing like that, but I'm not the person to lovingly eulogize him either. I think that all qualifies as full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, our fourth and final story is also about a death of sorts, uh, a topic John has written about even more than drone racing, uh, the legal suit between the New Jersey horsemen and the major sports leagues may have reached its final chapter on Friday when a three page filing announced that the matter had been quote amicably resolved. We've talked about the case before on the podcast, this is the racetrack operators in New Jersey suing the NFL and other leagues for potential profits lost because the leagues prevented them from offering sports betting from 2014 to 2018. And the horsemen were seeking $150 million. But after two and a half years of scratching and clawing, they've backed down and accepted a $3.4 million bond and seemingly nothing more. John, break it down. What happened here? Why did this case come to such a sudden end? Yeah, I, I was definitely surprised. And and this only months after an equally disappointing resolution, in my mind, at least, uh, to my beloved Phil Ivey versus Borgata <laughs> saga of six yeah. years. Uh, the settlement there with Ivey and Borgata was completely undisclosed. This one at least seems to clarify the settlement, although I'm not positive. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not sure. But <laughs> I feel as if the high point was last summer when federal judge Michael Shipp who always sided with the leagues dating back to 2012, I mean, six or eight times, was finally taken off the case. So last month, a new federal judge offered her first legal opinion on it. And in retrospect, I suppose it made clear that this modest $3.4 million bond that, you know, uh, seemed like a slam dunk to me to cover four weeks of being denied from offering sports betting on Monmouth Park while the judge in, back in 2014 was trying to figure out, you know, what his decision would be. Uh, all of a sudden, that was not necessarily there. So uh, most big cases get settled, let's face it, when one side can't afford to keep gambling, as it were. And in this case, that's the feisty thoroughbred horseman of New Jersey. And I will say they had a good decade long run in this saga. And a lot of people in the US legal gaming industry are happy for them anyway. Yeah. Uh, boy, your sagas have really been uh, ending with a whimper lately. Uh, if, if you hadn't brought up Ivy versus Borgata, I was going to. But, you know, I, I guess that's the way it often is for legal cases in real life. This isn't the movies. You don't get a big showy trial. You get some sort of compromise and backing down and terms of settlement not released, etc. Um I personally never really settled into a strong position on this one, you know, whether the horsemen are rightfully owed big money by the leagues. Certainly the leagues were disingenuous to some degree in their opposition to sports betting until they saw the financial benefits for themselves. But, you know, it's not necessarily against the law to be disingenuous. Um, I just hope that the 3.4 million that they're getting helps out the tracks and, uh, and more than covers their legal expenses from these past couple of years, at least. Yeah, I, I think it helps a little bit. Plus, you know, it's possible the league threw them a little bit of a bone and it's just not in the in the settlement. It sure is hell ain't close to 150 million, but, you know, maybe it's a little something else. So, uh, you know, they gave it a shot. And, you know, in 2019, uh, Judge Rendell of the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, she 
first suggested that, hey, you know, they were prevented from doing something for four years that they should have been allowed to because of a, a bogus federal law. So maybe they do deserve a lot. And then she kicked it, kicked it downstairs to to ship. And uh, he didn't buy in at first. And then he left the case. So she sort of set them up to get their hopes up. And then the new judge came in and it didn't sound so good for them. So that in retrospect, that ruling that looked great for the horse at the time, it didn't really help matters, I don't think. Yeah, kind of an interesting story to track uh, from from start to finish, as you did. Uh, and the ending, a little anticlimactic, perhaps, but uh, you'll move on to uh, to bigger and better sagas soon, I'm sure. Yeah, well, the Ivy Borgata one was much worse because my point for years, and it was right for years, is that neither, neither, neither of those sides is ever going to run out of money. Okay? Right. That's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, you know, Phil Ivy, if he has a bad run of luck, he can just find a couple of chumps who will pay him a million dollars to show up, and he'll play with six buddies, you know, for $100,000 a hand or whatever and they'll all get selfies with him and uh you know get a little video clips for instagram and you know they'll lose a million bucks a piece and they'll laugh about it so you know he's not running out of money and Borgata, they're printing money in atlantic city still so that's why i had hopes for that one to go far and it was sexy enough of course we got a movie uh right. in the works perhaps with aquafina on this and then even I think the courts would have been fascinated by this and maybe the Supreme Court even. It's like, you know, is this cheating? You know, that was the one hope in, in a way with sports betting. Yeah, there were some fundamental constitutional questions, but plus, plus it's a cool story. I mean, a lot of these cases are antitrust and this and that. It's like they're kind of dull. I mean, they're important and they have to spend months, you know, researching it with their clerks and everything. But it's not sexy. This that was sexy. This one could have been sexy, too. But, uh, yeah, there'll be a, a new saga coming along soon enough. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Some call it a perk, some call it a punishment, but one of the rules when you join the staff at U.S. Bets is that once you've been here for a couple of months, you're forced to appear as a guest on Gamble On. So we now welcome to the podcast the latest addition to the team, a longtime columnist for the Trentonian newspaper in Trenton, New Jersey, who is now covering a variety of gambling topics in a variety of states for our sites, a man with a far better voice for podcasting than mine or John's, Jeff Edelstein. <laughs> Jeff, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you. So, I, as yeah, can I take the zip ties off now that you have me on the podcast? <laughs> all right. Uh, when we're done, we'll allow okay, you to remove fair, the zip fair. ties. Yes. <laughs> so, I know you're an avid DFS player, uh, but yeah. I don't know too much else about your background as a gambler. So, how long have you been playing DFS? What's your best sport? Are you serious about traditional sports betting as well? In short, what, what's your story as a gambler, and do you have a particular career highlight in gambling? Yeah. Uh, DFS, I started playing, I guess, I think it was 2015, you know, a buddy of mine who I've been in a fantasy football league with since 1986. Uh, I was like, oh, have you heard about this? I'm like, yeah, I've heard about it. It seems scammy to me, you know, like, oh, it's on the internet kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, I played, it was a two-game slate. Uh, I remember it was the Panthers and Saints were the second game. It was like a Sunday night, Monday night. And I ended up winning like $40 on a $3 entry, and I haven't looked back. You know, it, that was it. You know, I was, it was the greatest thing ever. Um, yeah, so I've been playing, you know, I started just, just with football. Um, and at the time I kind of like out football was the only sport I really followed at, at that point in my life. Um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have named 50 major league baseball players. I certainly couldn't have named 10 NBA players, but you know, within a very short period of time, I was able to tell you who the ninth guy off the bench was for the Utah jazz <laughs> right. and it went from there. 
Okay. And, and what about the, the sports betting side of things? Have you gotten into that since it came legally to New Jersey? Yeah. Once, I mean, I, I hadn't placed a real bet since high school uh, when we, somebody had knew a bookie and then I was a bookie for a little bit, but you know, I just, I never did it. And then, uh, you know, I never even like placed a bet in Vegas or anything, but yeah, one, once New Jersey came online, I said, well, let, let's give this a shot. And uh, to give you an idea of how deep into DFS I am, uh, the first bet I placed was uh, it was an over on a Canadian football league game because I had been doing research for uh, the CFL DFS slate. And so, yeah, <laughs> and that, so once, and then, again, once I started, that was, that was it, you know, and did, did, did that over hit? It hit. Yeah. Okay. I, I, be, All right. Beginner's luck. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jeff, uh, you've got a lot of reaction in the industry to a story you had on the fact that a lot of the New Jersey sports books in particular, but they're, they're across many states around the country, uh, they're severely limiting some of the pro gamblers' bets. And, uh, you know, I'm exaggerating if I say uh, somebody, an expert who wants to make a $500 bet can only bet, you know, $8.36, but uh, not as much as people would think. It's pretty severely limited in some cases. And, and those are kind of ridiculous. We know that. That's uh, shooting fish in a barrel. But uh, in terms of the broader question, I'm, I'm curious how you feel about um, – you know, I know the, the guy who can always eat the 64-ounce steak and finish it, he eats free and he gets a free T-shirt once a week. You know, eventually, the restaurant doesn't let him in anymore, understandably. So um, so does an online sports book kind of have that same sort of right where they uh, – or should they have that same sort of right where if somebody's too good, they don't have to let them in anymore? Or uh, do you think it's better to just let the free market decide and if they lose, they lose? Well, I think, you know, after, like, talking to people on both sides of the fight, I, I think there is a happy medium, honestly. I, I think first, so I think the, the sports books are probably doing themselves a disservice by, by limiting shark action in that they, you know, they're, 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 they aren't going to get the sharpest line, you know, movements without, without them. So that's, that's part of it. On the other side, of course, I understand like their desire to not want to take, you know, big action on players who are going to beat them. But I do think there's a happy medium, you know, and all the gamblers that I spoke with, kind of said the same thing. It's like, we don't care. It doesn't need to be $50,000 limits on a side. You know, if they just knew that they could put 500 down or a thousand down on a college basketball game, they, they'd be happy enough with it. And, you know, and they would, they would work, you know, within the parameters of it. Um, but to, to limit them all the way out, I think is crazy. And really, I mean, the, the, the best guys, you know, will tell you, you know, if they're doing 57% winning, they're crushing, right? So it's not like they'll be winning, you know, every time they place a bet. I, I think it's a little short-sighted, and I, and I think long-term it's not great for the industry because it's not just these big betters that are, like, finding themselves, like, caught in the crosshairs. It, it's smaller people, like, who, you know, I've been limited on, like, player prop bets. Like, I've been limited where, you know, I try to put a $100 player prop bet down. They say, oh, I can only bet, like, $29. You know, and I am the furthest thing from, like, a shark. or the fur And, and the furthest, I mean, $100 is, like, the most I would ever bet on a game to begin with. Don't tell my wife. She's not allowed to listen to this. But, uh... <laughs> Uh, so I think there's a happy medium, and I, I think they, that the sports book should probably find that happy medium and allow action, but just you know have the limit set and take the action. I, I don't think it, it shouldn't be that hard. And all these sports books they have on their you know their terms and conditions are hilarious. You know where uh, we up to twenty thousand dollars on this or up to five thousand dollars on this, and then we reserve the right to you know say no to any bet. Yep. Um, all right. Th this next question will continue a conversation we were having in the work slack on Monday. Uh, you wrote a piece for NJ Online Gambling about the recent shift in the New York Mets odds. And you made clear in the article that the Mets, above all other teams in all other sports, 
are your team. Uh, yeah. I'm a Phillies fan, so you should understand that this makes you my sworn enemy and I wish you much pain. Um, in all seriousness, are you believing in the Mets this season after their recent trades? And have you placed any futures bets on them? I have not placed any futures bets on the Mets. I believe in the talent. I, as being a Mets fan all these years, I, I just cannot allow myself to believe uh, in the results. You know, it just, there, it's, it's a lot of pain. Though I'll, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think being, a, you know, growing up in North Jersey, I was surrounded by Yankees fans also. And Mets fans, we have, you know, Yankees fans think the world is like full of joy and happiness. Mets fans understand that it's not, it's not an easy ride. And you have to enjoy the good things when they come. It's been 34 years since I've been able to enjoy a good thing, but you know, in all, all good things, right? <laughs> but, so, but, but you're not Mets and Jets, right? You're, you're Mets and Giants, is that correct? Yeah, I would. I mean, yes, I'm Mets, Giants, Knicks, Devils, but I would sell all of them down the road to, you know, min cash in a DFS tournament. So, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I'll torment you with this story, Jeff. Uh, speaking of growing up in North Jersey in the 1980s, uh, a close friend of mine in college grew up across the street from Dick Young, who's a legendary sports writer, most famous running Tom Seaver out of town on a rail to Cincinnati in the 1970s. And so because of that uh, connection that his father had with Dick Young, uh, my friend could often get seats to World Series game, playoff games, all kinds of things. And so for the 1986 World Series, once again, he got tickets and he stuck going to game six with his sister who didn't know, you know, which end of the ball was up. So she's sort of enjoying the fact that everybody's shouting and screaming the whole game, but she doesn't understand what they're doing. And so that kind of frustrated him. So game seven, as you may recall, was rained out on Sunday night. And so she asked him, what do they do if the game is rained out? And he said, well, they play on Monday night. And she says, well, I have piano lessons to give on Monday night. I can't go to the game. He says, oh, that's such a shame, you know, click. And then he calls me up, you know, as I say, with, with the greatest, uh, you know, buddy calls. I've got an extra ticket for, and it's some sort of lame Thompson Twins concert or whatever, but it's free, <laughs> so you'll go, what the heck. Right. Yeah, game seven of the 86 World Series. Oh, that, that's uh, that worked that nicely for me. Most oh, seats yeah. right behind home plate. Beautiful. Oh, my gosh. That is yeah, fantastic. I so can't believe the way you just, just besmirched the Thompson Twins, though, John. Come on. I, I got stuck going to see them with a girlfriend once. Uh, second row, Garden State Arts Center. So, so, yeah. so ga game um, seven so, of the Mets World Series is better than the Thompson Twins, you're saying? Yeah, although I once had to go to a Rick Springfield show in the Chicago suburbs in the 1990s. It's kind of over the hill by then. Right. Um, actually, <laughs> it pains me to say it wasn't terrible. I mean, I, I, I was really dreading it. It was, uh, you know, it was okay. But uh, back to the Mets, I, I just wanted to mention that, you know, last year and several years before, the Mets have had a penchant for blowing big leads late in games. So uh, they had done it a couple of times in a week, and they're up 7-2, and I'm watching this game, I think it was the eighth inning, and I'm like, they're going to blow it again. I just know they're going to blow it again. And so it finally dawned on me, well, I can get great odds on, on them losing because it's almost impossible. And so I got, I just put a couple of bucks up, and so now I was set up for a steak dinner if the Mets lose. Uh, and I just lost a few bucks if they win. So I feel like it took a little bit of the pressure off. And they did, of course, win the game. So no no free stake for me. But and I haven't gotten back to it yet. But I know a lot of Jets fans in particular, or really long-suffering fans of any team uh, that are convinced that nothing's ever going to go well for them, uh, that regularly hedge this way because they just figure, I know my team is going to torment me. It's going to break my heart. I at least ought to be able to make a few bucks for that. So I wonder if that theory is sort of, does that make me crazy or make us crazy or crazy like a fox? Or what do you think of it? I think it's spoken like a true Mets fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. So you're in favor of the emotional hedge bet. A Yankees fan would never do it. A Mets fan, <laughs> is the, it's the only sane thing to do, 100%.
All right. Well, uh, we need to come up with some sort of uh, prop bet between the two of us, uh, or maybe all three of us, since you guys are both uh, Mets backers this season, figure out something between the Mets and the Phillies and the win totals and whatever. But I'm definitely not taking even money. Uh, I I am not a long-suffering Mets fan, so I, I have more belief in your team than it sounds like like maybe <laughs> you do. So I, you're going to have to spot me a few games, but maybe we can come up with something uh, between the Mets and Phillies. We'll figure something out, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, I'm more inclined now. The new owner has got me pretty psyched i mean I, yes. I feel like it is a new era and some of the uh torments of the past might uh, go away and i really feel bad for those fans i mean i was like 24 and i'm at game 786 world series right or even if you're not there it's obviously exciting anyway and a lot of these fans 30 40 years old they have no idea you know and oh, I know. Uh, and that's true of obviously the knicks and the jets and some of these other teams uh and i i really I've gotten in my old age to decide every, I always root for the team that has a one. I mean, give me Buffalo and Cleveland in the AFC conference championship game. One of them gets to the Super Bowl, right? Cleveland for the first time, Buffalo for the first time since they blew four in a row with Jim Kelly. That's what I want. I'm tired of these other teams. I'm glad tired of Pittsburgh, you know, tired of Tom Brady. I mean, give me, give me <laughs> a new blood and uh, I've gotten sent them out to finally go through all these years. Well, being tired of Tom Brady, uh, we were we were all tired of Tom Brady for a long time, and it didn't get us very far in terms of uh, in terms of them actually going away until now, twenty years later. But uh, we we don't we don't always get what we want uh, as sports fans. But uh, if if we can win a few bucks along the way, I guess that's uh, that's what it's all about. Helps. Eases yeah. the pain, <laughs> exactly for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, really good talking to you, Jeff. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, here, here's hoping for a disastrous season for the Mets. Much disappointment <laughs> and many losses to the Phillies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's even odds, I'd say. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thanks, I can Jeff. point, Jeff, to uh, on the Internet, there's a, a site called the Mets Self-Immolation Thread. Um, so whenever there's that, you know, Tommy John surgery announcement or, you know, the late season collapse or whatever it may be, you know, the Grom exit game early, whatever it is, um, it'll be sort of activated and then people will come pouring in. Sometimes it's like a few years go by and it isn't. But then when that really, really disastrous thing hits, uh, suddenly it, it's, it's alive again. And it's sort of it's a good uh, emotional catharsis a little bit. It doesn't solve the problem, but. At least it addresses a little bit. I'm still I'm still upset over Tim Leary, if that means anything to you. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> John obviously got the reference that it, it went over my head, though. But, uh, <laughs> thanks, Jeff. You got it. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to our NFL playoff picks shortly, but first let's update our shared bankroll and we booked a small win on the week. Uh, And after the negative run we've been on, any positive week is a good week. We had three losing bets, but two of them were very small. I lost $25 taking a shot on the Titans at plus 900 to be the highest scoring team of wildcard weekend. I'm not sure what the Browns were priced at there, but they would have been the winning bet on that one. I suspect they were somewhere around 15 to one. Uh, John lost with his golf bets on Patrick Reed, dropping $110 on a top 10 finish and 10 more bucks on a first place finish. So that's $145 of losing bets but we combined for $208 of winning bets. John got Alabama minus seven and a half points in the college football championship game to win a hundred dollars. 
And I eked one out with Joel Embiid under 12.5 rebounds last Thursday. He finished with 12 boards and had a seat on the bench with two minutes to play in a lopsided game. So we uh, escaped there with a win of $108. So in the end, we won 63 bucks on the week. We're now down $1,171. We still have $590 on hold in futures bets. And that means we have $8,329 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I'll make an NHL futures bet. This will be on a team whose season doesn't start until Thursday night, thus working out timing-wise for our podcast posting schedule. Uh, I wrote a season preview for U.S. Bets, and I'm no hockey expert, but the Athletics' Dom Luschichin is, and his modeling projects the Vegas Golden Knights for 72 points in this 56-game season, while their line is as high as 75.5 points at DraftKings. That's a nice three-and-a-half-point difference. They're expected to be a top team, but if the early weeks of the NBA season are teaching us anything, it's that without fans in this weird COVID era, upsets are common, and most teams are gravitating a little closer toward 500 than we might have expected on either end of the spectrum. So I have no problem going under on a high total. Plus, Vegas is in a relatively tough division. They have the Avalanche in their division. So I'm trusting Dom's projections mixed with my instincts about how the season will play out. Let's bet $112 to win 100 on Vegas under 75 and a half points. All right, well, I'm going to go back to the golf as the PGA Tour remains in Hawaii. And uh, I found a line I liked on DraftKings as well. I get, I get Wiley veteran Kevin Kistner at 100 to win 125 for a mere top 20 at the Sony Open, where he's excelled over the years. With a, it's a meth field this year, really. And, and also give me 20 at plus 250 for top 10 and even 10 at plus 3,000 to win the damn thing. I swear I'm not chasing, Eric. <laughs> you swear? You promise? <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Uh, All right. Uh, There are uh, very few NFL playoff game player props that have been posted so far. Uh, No over-unders on yards or anything like that. But there are touchdown scorer odds on some sites. And while several sites have Lamar Jackson to score right around even money, FanDuel has him at a juicy plus 125. Uh, We saw last week just how well he's running. Uh, The Bills rushing defense ranks towards the bottom of the league in most metrics. I think it's more likely than not that Lamar, uh, who has scored a rushing touchdown in four of his last six games, including last week against Tennessee, that he finds the end zone. So if you're offering me plus money, I'm taking it. Let's bet $100 to win $125. All right. And I'm looking at Rams Packers. Give me under 45 and a half points at 110 to win 100. Kind of amazed to see this number, given the Rams defense and, well, especially the Rams offense. So the <laughs> Packers will score some points. Are the Rams going to score 10 points? I'm not so sure. All right. And that is a perfect lead in to our playoff picks. That's how we'll conclude the show. Uh, My inability to figure out the NFL in 2020 continued with the first round of the playoffs (laughs) as I went two and four, whereas John had a strong week going four and two against the spread. And I give you particular props, John, for your Browns pick where you basically said, Everything favors Pittsburgh, so I'm predicting weirdness and going with the Browns. And sure enough, the script got thrown out on the very first snap and weirdness prevailed in that game. Uh, We have four games this weekend. You have me behind the eight ball already uh, as we make our picks using points bets lines as of Tuesday evening. All right. 
And I'm up first with the first game. It's a Saturday afternoon, Rams at Packers, Green Bay, favored by six and a half. You might guess where I'm going on this one. Uh, I took the temperature in the room. Actually, I took the temperature forecast in Green Bay of under 30 degrees. That's Aaron Rodgers weather, big time. Uh, the Rams have kicked some field goals and gotten pick sixes and such in recent weeks, but the offense doesn't score enough touchdowns to hang in this one. So it's Packers minus six and a half. Okay. So I was looking at this and, you know, no game this weekend could swing based on a single injury update more than this one with Aaron Donald. Uh, I mean, other than maybe Aaron Rodgers, he's the most important player on the field. Uh, McVay is all but promising he'll play, but how far from a hundred percent effective will he be? If he was a hundred percent and this line was still six and a half, I'd probably take the Rams. Uh, but I think the smart play here is to expect a compromise Donald and the Rams have just been so inconsistent this year. Uh, and here they are. They've won and covered twice in a row. I just don't think this is the kind of team that's going to make it three in a row. So uh, I'll take Green Bay also. I think it's going to be pretty close to that line. I could see this one finishing, you know, a seven-point game or an eight-point game or something like that. But we're on the same side of this one. Uh, next, the Saturday night game, Ravens at Bills. Buffalo is favored by two. I was skeptical about the Ravens last week. Uh, I pointed out their weak quality of opposition and questioned whether they were in fact playing better down the stretch. Uh, and that didn't work out so well for me. Uh, their offense didn't impress me much, honestly, against a soft Titans defense, but the Ravens defense, especially their run defense, they played great. Uh, this, this feels like a real toss up game to me in terms of which team wins. So when that's the case, may as well take the points. So I'll take the Ravens plus two, but you know nothing would surprise me in this game. Any outcome is on the table, but I'm going Ravens plus two. Yeah, I mean, the Bills were outplayed by the Colts in the first weekend, let's face it, and the pressure's finally off them. Uh, the Ravens were, I think, a little more impressive than I guess you're thinking and taking down the Titans, especially being down 10 nothing. Uh, though in both cases, the losing coaches made a series of stupid moves to give the games away, so uh, they both got breaks there. Right. Uh, the Ravens' running game proves, I think, a bigger advantage than the Bills' passing game. So, yeah, give me the Ravens and two free points as well. So now let's go to Sunday, and the early game is the Browns at the Chiefs. Now, Kansas City's a 10-point favorite. Boy, the Browns are the epitome of my, my mantra. If a team can lose a game and still feel good about their season, they usually do. I mean, they are right there on that one. Um, but it's another case where a strong rushing attack like Cleveland oh, has is the difference in a possible shocking win. But I'll take the 10 points just in case. All right. So you're taking Cleveland on yes. that one with the points. So. Most of the season, I did well following the trend of the Chiefs winning but not covering. You know, they always did just enough. Uh, and a lot of the times the spread wasn't even as high as 10. It was like six or seven. When these lines came out, when I checked them Monday morning, took a first look at the line, I immediately put a bet down on the Browns plus 10. Uh, all logic says that's too many points. The Chiefs let opponents hang around. Cleveland will have coaches and players back. They have some momentum and some confidence now. 10 points is just too big a line. So now I'm going to pull the John Brennan move with this game and say everything is pointing toward a Browns cover. So I'm going to go against the grain here. Weirdness of some sort is coming. Maybe Cleveland chokes and the Chiefs just put on a show from beginning to end. Could be like a 41 to 10 final or something like that where it's just never close. So I'm going against my first instinct and even my Monday morning bet. And I'm taking the Chiefs here. And the final game, Bucks at Saints on Sunday. New Orleans is favored by three. 
I don't have a very good reason for this. It's just a hunch that the Brady dud, the, the Brady shows his age game is coming. Now, Drew Brees is is old and semi-washed himself, but the Saints take an approach that allows them to work around that and, and they can win even if Brees is limited. The Bucks need a good game out of Brady to prevail. So my hunch is that the Saints defense forces him into just enough mistakes to pull this out and cover. Uh, I'll take New Orleans minus three. Yeah, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara with Drew Brees, yowza. You know, <laughs> I feared the Saints' dominance over the Bucks in the regular season had to leave me facing a tough line here, but minus three is not a tough line at all. There's there's no give from uh, from that dominance. We we get the number we would want anyway. So give me the Saints uh, as Brees moves to six and two all time versus Tom Brady. All right, and that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Jeff Edelstein. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, too much football. There, I said it. If nobody else will. I said it. I love the old first weekend form of late afternoon and evening Saturday games, midday Sunday games, plenty of time to do other things. You know, all day, all night for two days. I got tired of it. I'm sure you don't have to watch every game, but the lure is there, especially with legal betting. You know, in the middle game Saturday, Seahawks-Rams was very missable. And especially the Saints-Bears game on Sunday that had me watching the Nickelodeon channel uh, in the second quarter until I bailed at the halftime. And that was absolutely unwatchable. But the wall-to-wall football even turned me off to the Monday night Alabama-Ohio State game, uh, the title game. Um, you know, it didn't help that I just didn't care who won beyond a few bucks I had in Alabama. But, you know, look, I skipped the first half, the entire first half to watch – the Bachelor. There, I said it. <laughs> and my, my life was unaffected, you know. We're never going to go back to only six NFL playoff teams per conference, obviously. So in the future, I'm just going to have to plan to blow off a game or two entirely and be quicker to bail out when these games are not only lopsided, but boring. I did have a train wreck voyeur's interest in the second half of Brown Steelers that kept me in there. But that was a unique circumstance. So, you know, with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody. Just not necessarily every single playoff game.